word today. God's word for us today comes from the book of Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 speaks of uh, this story of these two stories of suffering and in the middle the story of Jesus transfiguration on the mountain. So let's hear God's word from Luke 9 uh, starting in verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this that is what he had told what Peter had said that he was the Messiah to anyone. And he said The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And uh, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John with him and went up on a mountain To pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone, and the disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O God, by your Spirit, open our ears to hear and listen to you and our hearts to know and love you that we may be people found in Jesus Christ and him found in us and transformed into his likeness. We pray this by the power of the Spirit and in his name. Amen. Mountaintops are one of my favorite places to be. There's this thing about being on a mountain. There's nothing quite like being way up on the top of the world in this high space and you're looking down on everything below. One summer, I worked in Colorado at Rocky Mountain National Park, uh, uh, not at Rocky Mountain National Park, at, at Snow Mountain Ranch, just south of Rocky Mountain National Park, this YMCA center that hosts family reunions and events up in the Rockies. And my Calvin friends and I spent our days doing ordinary things like selling sunglasses and running the zip line, uh, cleaning toilets and making food. But on our days off, we climbed the mountains. 
Now, sometimes we just climbed the ones that were right nearby on the property. We'd grab our bags after supper, get a sleeping bag, skip the tent, just bring a tarp and climb one of the mountains nearby and spend the night up by the stars. Other times, we would plan it more carefully and take a few days off and go climb a really big mountain. And late one, that summer, after the snow had melted, my, my friend Ben and I decided to climb Long's Peak. Now, we had prepared all summer for that hike, training for the distance that we would have to walk and the elevation that we would have to uh, conquer. Because Long's Peak is one of the biggest mountains in Colorado. It's one of those 14ers, as they call them, meaning it's 14,000 feet above sea level. In uh, 14,255, to be precise. Uh, For those international viewers, that's like 4,000 plus meters. And we left that uh, after midnight, after getting a few hours of sleep, and drove over Trail Ridge Road in the dark. And we started at the trailhead around 2 a.m. and hiked all the way up by our headlamps. And Long's Peak is this grueling hike, one of the hardest I've ever done. You start at about 10,000 feet and gain 4,000 feet of elevation over nine miles. It's pretty steep. And once you're above treeline, you can look over and see all the lights of the, the front range cities, Denver and Fort Collins and Boulder. And we got to the top shortly after sunrise. And the views were amazing up there, but the air was really thin. As you're walking up nearing the top, you have to take two breaths for every step just to keep your head on straight. And when we got there, we, we lay down on a boulder and, and took a short nap maybe because we were tired or maybe because we were suffering from altitude sickness and not exactly thinking straight. The light was blinding in our eyes when we woke up, but the the sun warmed us, and we saw these clouds starting to form on the western horizon and decided it was time to get off the mountain before lightning struck us. Now, years later, I climbed Long's Peak again, this time with my sister, Elisa, but we were not as well prepared that time. We, We hadn't spent the summer living in Colorado We hadn't uh, hiked every day for months, but we left at midnight to get ourselves plenty of time to get to the top. And when we got to the top, right at sunrise, it was cold and windy, and there was no place to take shelter. Uh, And and I got altitude sickness worse than I've ever had before and then threw up everything that I'd eaten and all the water several times. We didn't stay long up on the top of that time. Uh, The only way to cure altitude sickness is to get down and get down fast. And we practically danced our way from boulder to boulder as we hiked down the mountain. We got down and we drove to boulder and we went to Jamba Juice and bought us ourselves the biggest smoothies we could get with all the protein boosters and the vitamin mixes and all the healthy stuff. And then we lay down on the grass in the city park and, and just slept. Now, I think a, a lot of the disciples might have been feeling a little bit like this on the mountain that they climbed with Jesus. Maybe it wasn't quite as high as Long's Peak But there's a reason important things in the Bible happen on mountaintops. Mountaintops are these thin places. They're places where God's presence seems somehow a bit more clear to us. Now we know, of course, that God is present everywhere if only we see and listen to him. But here we see God reveals himself uh, to Jesus, uh, to Moses and Elijah and Jesus on mountaintops. But the thing about mountaintops is they are never the end of the journey. They're a midway point. There, uh, you have to come down from the mountain someday, and sometimes more quickly than you'd like. The mountaintop experience changes you. It transforms you. It, it changes your body, your perspective, your life, your faith. At least, at least it should, though sometimes not right away, like happened with the disciples in this story. You see, look, a book ends this story of Jesus' glory on the mountaintop with two stories 
about suffering. We read the first one already, and we'll get to the second one a bit later. But in the first one, we saw Jesus predict his death, the first of many times that he does that in Luke. And Jesus has just declared, uh, Peter has just spoken with Jesus and declared that Jesus is God's Messiah. It's one of my favorite question and answers in the Bible. Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some people say this, Elijah. Some people say John the Baptist. Some people say one of the prophets. And then he says, who do you say I am? And Peter answers, God's Messiah, or literally the Christ of God. Now you'd think Jesus at that moment would say something like, bingo, Peter, you got it, congratulations. But instead, Jesus warns them not to tell anyone. Why? Because because these things need to happen, not good things. Uh, Suffering and death is coming. Jesus is going to be rejected by the people and the elders and the chief priests and on the third day be raised up to new life. The disciples must have been surprised about this, though Luke doesn't tell us how they react here. This Messiah is not the sort of Messiah that they expect, as we'll find out in that second time where Jesus talks about his suffering and death. But Jesus talks about these things because it is essential for them to understand what is coming, the, the, the transfiguration, the changing of Jesus' likeness. And that's why, Peter, uh, that's why Luke puts these stories together. See, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who reveals God's glory. But he is the one who will suffer and die. And his glory will be revealed in that moment. It's all one one package, one thing. And the disciples may not realize it yet, but that is what Jesus is going to do. What does that mean for them then? Well, Well, if the Messiah is going to suffer and die and be glorified, then so will they. See, because following a suffering Messiah means something for the disciples. They will suffer. They will give up their lives. They will lose their lives for his cross. Because this this way of this suffering yet glory-filled Messiah is this way of losing and finding, of suffering and salvation. Otherwise, what is the point of Jesus' suffering? And that's why Luke puts this story right here. Because nothing else will make sense if we don't understand this moment in light of what's to come. Jesus reveals his glory on a mountaintop because his glory will be revealed on a hilltop cross. Of course, the disciples don't get it. And who could blame them? They've never seen glory quite like this. And our world doesn't much like to see glory like this. The glory in suffering looks like the way of losers and outcasts. It is not winning. There is no power in this kind of suffering There's this famous speech uh, that Martin Luther King Jr. gave at the end of his life called the Mountaintop Speech. I once uh, wrote a paper on it about it in college, and I didn't really know what I was doing at the time, but I've come to understand the speech better since then. It's this masterful speech. It's full of biblical words and images and references. And Martin Luther King Jr. preached it on the night before he was murdered in Memphis. He draws on Moses' last sermon on a mountaintop. He says, I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. Now he's talking about the land where justice reigns. He's talking about a place where peace and nonviolence is the way of life. And he was convinced, he's been talking about economic justice for the last couple years of his life at this point. He was convinced that poor white and black people would not be free from the curse of slavery and white supremacy until their physical and spiritual needs were met. 
He was preparing to lead this poor people's march on Washington just a few months later. And people uh, like to talk about how wonderful MLK was, all about peace and nonviolence, but we sometimes forget that towards the end of his life he was preaching how economic justice is essential for shalom, for the good life, for spiritual and moral well-being. And on that last night, he said this. He said, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up on the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Because the way of glory and peace, the way of Christ, involves suffering. And if you're not suffering for the gospel, then maybe you're not doing the gospel. If mountaintop experiences make no difference in your everyday life, then maybe you're not listening to Jesus If God's word and our gathering for worship do nothing in the rest of your life, then maybe you're not listening to the Spirit. So wake up, pay attention, listen to God's Spirit, and be transformed in the likeness of Jesus. Eight days after that conversation with Peter, Jesus reveals his glory on a mountaintop. And Luke doesn't tell us which mountain he was on. Uh, It doesn't matter so much for Luke, but what matters is who he was with and and what he does and who he met up there. Uh, Who he was with? Well, he takes the three disciples with him, Uh, Peter, James, and John. They are chosen from among the disciples to be leaders among them. And what does he do? Well, Jesus goes to the mountain to pray. That's significant because uh, one commentator says, in the Gospel of Luke, every time Jesus prays, something important happens. Prayer punctuates the Gospel of Luke. When Jesus received the Spirit at his baptism, he was praying. When he was tempted in the desert, Jesus was praying. When he called the twelve out of all of his followers to be his disciples and apostles, Jesus prayed on a mountain. And here, where Jesus reveals his glory on a mountaintop, Jesus is praying. And when the end of his life draws near, Jesus goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, prayer punctuates the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke's way of saying, listen, pay attention, something important is about to happen. And what happens on the mountain is this confusing and and mysterious and amazing thing. Luke says that Jesus' appearance is somehow changed. Luke doesn't say that he was transfigured. That's a Mark and and Matthew say that, but somehow that his likeness was different. His clothes were as bright as lightning, which is saying something because lightning is a, a trillion volts of power ripping through the atoms of the atmosphere, turning them into plasma and burning them at temperatures higher than the sun. And that was just his clothes. Now what happens on the mountain, most importantly, is that Jesus is with some people. He's with Moses and Elijah. Now, you may wonder, how did the disciples know it was Moses and Elijah? I mean, they didn't have any photos or daguerreotypes or sketches of Moses and Elijah floating around. Those guys didn't have name tags on them that said, hi, my name is Moses. 
but somehow they knew. Also, why Moses and Elijah? And that is an important question. Why does Jesus talk with them? Why does God send Moses and Elijah to speak with Jesus? Well, first of all, Moses and Elijah both have met God on mountaintops. Moses met God on Mount Sinai to receive the law. And then near the end of his life, God met him again on a mountaintop as he looked out over the promised land. And he died there, overlooking the promised land, but never entering it. And no no one but God knows where Moses is buried. Now the prophet Elijah also met God on a mountaintop in that still, quiet moment between the raging of the winds. And Elijah also had an unusual end to his life. He was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire. So the, the, the traditional answer to the question, why Moses and Elijah, is that Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophet. And Jesus unites and fulfills both the law and the prophets in himself. And that is true, but that is not all. Notice Luke includes a key detail uh, in, in his telling of the story. Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus about his departure about his departure. The word in Greek literally is his exodus. They're talking about his suffering and death in Jerusalem. Now these guys both know about suffering and glory. They saw glimpses of it when, they, when God revealed himself to them on mountaintops. And they are here to help Jesus fulfill God's story for his people. Moses is the true and better, I'm sorry, Jesus is the true and better Moses because his death will bring freedom, exodus to God's people. Jesus' death will break the bonds of sin and death. Jesus' death will release a captive humanity to this life as God meant it to be. Jesus' death releases people from slavery of sin and demons into this freedom of God's kingdom. And Jesus is this true and better, better Elijah because he is a prophet who, God, who reveals God's kingdom. And like Elijah, he will ascend to heaven in glory at, and he will return again at the end of days to judge the living and the dead when God's kingdom is all in all. See, on this mountaintop, Jesus' suffering death is revealed to him and his disciples And it's glorious and confusing. And it's a mystery that the disciples will only understand much, much later. Jesus will reveal his glory in his suffering and death. And it doesn't make sense to the disciples. They're they're sleepy. They're awed by the glorious splendor. Uh, Mark and Matthew say they were flat down on their faces on the ground. And uh, Peter blurts out the first thing that he can think of. Let's build shelters for you three And what he's saying is, let's make tabernacles or tents. Let's mark this space right here as holy ground. Let's contain the revelation of God in this space. Now, Peter isn't wrong, but he is confused about what's going on. He doesn't understand that this glory will be revealed in the suffering that is to come. And while Peter is still speaking, they're surrounded by a cloud, literally overshadowed. Like Mary was overshadowed by the power of the Spirit when the angel came to her. Like Jesus was overshadowed by a cloud at his baptism. God's presence surrounds them on the mountaintop like a cloud. And they are afraid. Finally, the disciples react in the right way to God's revelation. The way to respond to God's revelation in glory is with fear and awe and trembling, flat on your face on the ground. 
God's voice speaks from the cloud and he says, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Now that's almost the same thing that God said at Jesus' baptism. My my beloved son, my chosen one, the Messiah. And here God adds this instruction. Listen to him. After all that glorious splendor around them, God doesn't say, look at him, notice him, uh, gaze upon his face. No, God says, listen to him. Listen to him speak of his suffering and death. Listen to his words. Uh, Listen to the word made flesh among you. Listen to him. And the disciples can't even bring themselves to speak about what happened not until much, much later when it all begins to make sense to them, when what they've seen and heard is so mysterious, so glorious, so strange, they don't even know how to put it into words. Luke, a little bit later in verse 43, repeats this lesson again. He says, While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said this to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. The word, that word listen, appears again here. But they do not listen. They they hear, but they do not understand. They do not act according to God's, Jesus' word yet. And again, Jesus tells them, I will reveal my glory in suffering. I am going to die at human hands. You may not understand this now, but someday you will. Because Jesus reveals his glory on this mountaintop. And Luke puts it between these two stories of suffering because it's the turning point of the whole gospel of Luke. And from this point on, Jesus is moving from Galilee to Jerusalem. He's turning his face, setting his face firmly toward Jerusalem. And for us, This story, too, marks a turning point between glory and suffering. We're we're coming to the end of the church season called Epiphany. And Epiphany is all about God revealing his glory to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we've seen Jesus' glory in his works, in his acts of power, in his preaching and teaching through these stories of the Gospel of Luke. The glory days seem to be coming to an end. See, Wednesday marks the beginning of, uh, of Lent, this season of suffering. And as Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem, we turn our hearts to the cross. We, we set our minds on Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for us. We see his wounds, his hands, his feet, our Savior on that cursed tree. Jesus' glory was revealed on the mountaintop, and it brings it all together. His glory will be coming in suffering. His glory will come in ways that we don't expect. It will be mysterious and confusing, and we may miss it at times like the disciples. And yet God reveals his glory in the changed face of Jesus on the mountaintop and in the changed body of Jesus risen from the dead. And this happens to us, too, more often than not. We, we might miss seeing God's glory revealed among us. Maybe we miss it on a mountaintop in Colorado. Maybe we miss it in a, a changed face of someone we see every day. But God's glory shines through humans made in God's image. Uh, Frederick Beekner, a, a pastor and writer, puts it this way. Now, even with us, he says, even with us, something like this happens once in a while. 
the face of a man walking with his child in the park, of a woman baking bread, of sometimes the most unlikely person listening to a concert or standing barefoot in the sand watching the waves roll in. Every once and so often, something so touching, so incandescent, so alive, transfigures the human face that it is almost beyond bearing. That's God's glory revealed. It's the glory revealed in Jesus Christ's suffering and death and his glorious resurrection. It's the glory of God that guides our steps down from the mountain into the valley of the shadow of death. We know there will be suffering on the road ahead. We know there will be moments when we miss God's glory. But we know that God's glory still shines through even when we can't see it, even when we don't listen. God's glory is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, in his word, in his church, and in his world. God's glory shines through by, in the person of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. God of glory, reveal your glory to us continually, we pray. First and foremost in your word, that as we come to your word, we may see the glorious one, the living one, the living word, Jesus Christ, revealed in his glory and in his suffering. And may we see your glory too in your world, in your creation, in your humanity made in your image, that we may always point to you, the author and finisher and perfecter of all things, the glorious one, and to Jesus Christ, to whom all knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So open our eyes to see your glory. Open our hearts to, to, to be transformed in his likeness that we may be your people in the world and we be faithful followers of Jesus, the ones sent out into the world to speak of his glory in suffering and death, but glory in resurrection too. And we look to you, God, as we come into this season of the church ahead. May we be always focused on, on Jesus Christ, on his suffering and death, and yes, on his glory. This we pray in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.